We are continuing our series, Fish Stories and Flannel Boards, and today we are going to be looking at the Passover as we started last week with the life of Moses, his birth and his calling, and now we are continuing on with the Exodus, and, and specifically because of all that's going on today, and I'm going to talk about it in just a little bit. Um, actually, let me just tell you now. This is really cool. This is how God works. Again, God is so good. Do you know what today is in the Jewish calendar? This day, not around the day, not sometime, excuse me, this week. Today, it is the first day of Passover. The first day of the days of unleavened bread. There's seven in all. And Passover actually starts the day before because on the 14th of Nisan which is the Jewish month in the Jewish calendar, the day before the Israelites left Egypt, this is when they started preparing the lamb. Prepare the lamb at sunset. They had their Passover meal, and the very next day, the 15th of Nisan, they got the heck out of Dodge, right? They got out of Egypt. Last night, uh, Jewish people around the world ate the Passover meal. And today starts the first day of unleavened bread for the next seven days. So we today, this day, we are talking about the Passover. On this, the first day of Passover. Isn't that cool? Not only that, but we're celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper together, which was Jesus celebrating the Passover. Some 2,000 years ago, on the evening of the Nisan of the 14th, actually technically the start of the 15th, because the Jewish day started at sunset, we are within just a few hours of when Jesus would have eaten that meal, as we today celebrate that very meal and talk about it. Praise God. Isn't that cool? All right, so we've done this every week for the past several weeks, a little summary video of what we're looking at today, so let's play that beautiful bean footage. God's story, Passover. So part of God's story is about Passover, and it goes like this. It all started when the Israelites were stuck as slaves in Egypt. They were forced to work in fields and make bricks and mortar. Worse, the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, and the other people in charge didn't care if God's family was hot or tired or hungry or sad or hurt or just plain miserable. And they were. But even in the middle of all that, God's family grew. In fact, they got so big that Pharaoh was scared they might attack and overpower him. He made them work even harder to show them he was boss. Soon the Israelites were even more miserable. They begged God for help. Well, guess what? God saw what Pharaoh was doing to his family, and he didn't like it one bit. So he planned a rescue. He sent a man named Moses to lead God's family out of Egypt and into a brand new, beautiful home called the Promised Land. But when Moses told Pharaoh to let God's family leave, Pharaoh said no. Remember, Pharaoh thought he was the boss. The thing is, God is really in control, and even rulers of countries should obey him. So nine different times, God sent plagues to show Pharaoh his power. The plagues were like punishments to Egypt for keeping God's family as slaves. After each one, Moses asked Pharaoh to let God's family go, but Pharaoh kept saying no. Then Moses told Pharaoh that God loves his family so much that he will rescue them no matter how many times Pharaoh refused to obey. So there would be one more plague, one that would wipe out the oldest son in every house in Egypt. 
But of course, God had a special plan for his family. He told them to take their best lamb or young goat, kill it, and paint the blood on the doorframe. Then they should eat the meat with bitter herbs and some flat bread made without yeast called unleavened bread, which is cheap and can be made quickly. In fact, God asked his family to eat the whole meal as if they were ready to run right out the door with their shoes on and their walking sticks in hand. They obeyed. Good thing, too, because that very night the angel of death came. But just like God promised, he passed over the houses with blood on the door. Finally, Pharaoh realized God was in charge and that God loved his family and that Pharaoh couldn't stop God's rescue plan. He said God's family should get far away from Egypt. They left in a hurry. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after that, God's family celebrated the night God rescued them by eating unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and lamb. But that rescue was just a preview to the big rescue God had planned for the whole world. Remember, the ruler of this world, the devil, wants us to work for him and live bitter, sad lives, separated from God. And we all do wrong things sometimes and deserve to die as punishment. So God sent his very own son to earth. He lived the perfect life we should have lived and died the awful death we should have died. But three days after he died, Jesus came back to life. That means he got rid of death and it can't separate us from God anymore. And you know what? Right before Jesus died, he celebrated Passover one last time, but without the lamb. See, Jesus showed us that he is our lamb. And just like the lambs died so that the sons could stay with their families, Jesus died so that we can be part of God's family. One day he'll recreate a perfect home for us and it'll be even better than the promised land. And that's the story of Passover. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God's family was miserable. They begged God for help. God planned a rescue. Pharaoh said no. God showed his power. The oldest sons had to die. Lambs took their place. God rescued his family. They celebrated Passover. Death was our punishment too. God sent his son. He took our place. God rescued us. And that's a part of God's story. All right. Well, again, welcome to Covenant Baptist Church. It is wonderful to have you all. Thank you to all of you who are tuning in on Facebook. You can't see me right now. Maybe if I stood out of frame, you would just think God was talking. Although I think he has a much cooler voice than I have. There we go. I would hope that most of you are familiar with... Can everyone on this side see this okay? There we go. I would hope that most of you are familiar with the story of Romeo and... Juliet, that's right. Those two star-crossed teen lovers, right? Just couldn't seem to make it work. It's a star-crossed love story because it's blossoming in the context. This love story is blossoming in the context of two rival families, right? The Montagues and the Capulets. The Montagues, Romeo's family, and the Capulets, Juliet's family. The house of Montague, the house of Capulet. And these two find each other. And they fall in love. But theirs isn't a happy ending, right? I won't spoil the end if you haven't read it or seen it. Romeo has this friend named Marcuccio. 
And Marcuccio obviously is on the side of the Montagues. But in Act 3, Scene 1, Romeo and some of his friends and young family members, including Marcuccio, meet up with some of the Capulets, and this brawl ensues. And in this brawl, or during this brawl, Marcuccio is uh, mortally wounded. They don't know it yet. They think he's just messing around, but he's dying. And as he's dying, Marcuccio makes this speech, and all of a sudden, he blames both sides for his predicament. Your, your feud has caused this, and many other deaths. And so do you remember his famous parting words? A plague on both your houses. Do you remember that? A plague on both your houses. Because he blames both. In that story, both houses were cursed. But I'm here to tell you, in God's story of salvation, there is only one house which is plagued or cursed. One house is blessed and rewarded. That's not just true in the story of salvation. That is true in our story today. Would you turn to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 20? Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. And when you've turned there in your Bible or on your device, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? I'll give some context in just a little bit, but let's read this right now. And this is the Lord's word to us. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. You want to hear a cool story? You remember in the story of Noah and the ark and the flood... Do you remember what month the ark came to rest in? Which month? It was in the seventh month. Do you know what month they're in right now? In Moses' time? They're in the seventh month. But God says, actually, this month is now the first month. So this begins the Jewish New Year. The month of Nisan. Do you know what day the ark came to rest? The 17th day of the 7th month. Which would be three days after the 14th day of the 7th month. Jesus died depending on... We can't say exactly. But he died on the 14th or 15th of... Nisan, the first month, which at the time of the flood was the seventh month. The ark came to rest on the day, three days later, that Jesus rose from the grave. Isn't that cool? Okay, that's free, that's extra. I'm already getting worked up here. Okay, let's go. Verse 
3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and in the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove, your le- you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day a holy assembly. That's mean, that means those are, those are Sabbaths. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No no work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. You may be seated. Thank you, God, for this, your word, and bless us as we think of it and study of it, and may it be transformative in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you three things today from the story that that I think we learn from this story, both in its time and pointing forward to Jesus. The first thing that we learn here, or that, that we see in the story, is that God sends plagues, right? Ten plagues. Pharaoh keeps saying, no, you can't have them. They're my workforce. They're the economy. If you take them, we'll be in ruins. And so God sends these nine plus one plagues. The ten plagues of Egypt turning water to blood, 
sending frogs throughout the land, lice or gnats, wild animals, flies, pestilence of livestock, boils, thunderstorm of hail and fire, locusts, and then darkness for three days. Doesn't that sound significant? Three days. And then, of course, the tenth and final, the death of the firstborn, which institutes this Passover that we're looking at today. Now, I'm not going to teach on these ten plagues. Um, if you go back to our sermon player on our website, there's three ways that there's there's three options there on our website. When you go to the sermons tab, you can you can watch the live service every Sunday morning at 9:45. You can go to the history of our live services that we've put on Facebook, or you can go to a sermon player that gives you the audio of our sermons. And of course, we weren't using Facebook Live at this time, but on June 28th of 2015, Patrick Oschlager preached a sermon on the 10 plagues called Don't Doubt God's Plan. One of the best sermons, if not the best sermon I've heard on this topic of the plagues from this text. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Even if you were here then, you probably don't remember much of it, or maybe you do. I don't know. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's such a, profoundly, uh, uh, such a profound case for God's sovereignty over everything and everyone else. In fact, that's what we see when we look at the plagues. The plagues show that Yahweh is God. Now, how many gods did the Egyptians have? Who knows? Who can count them all? But every single one of these Plagues correspond to one of their gods, something that that god was over, and yet God defeated their gods. God showed that he alone was God, and so that's why I call him Yahweh here, because when we use the word God, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? And so sometimes we need to name our God. God gives his name to Moses, Yahweh. I am that I am. Or maybe Jesus. I think we should use his name far more often than we do. I'm very intentional about that. I do say Father, I say God, but but I want to make sure the world knows who I'm talking about. It's not Muhammad. It's not Allah. It's not any other God. It is Yahweh. It is Jesus, or he is Jesus. The plagues show that Yahweh is God. Each of these plagues correspond to one of the Egyptian gods, and God showed his sovereignty, his power over all the other gods. In fact, we just read this here as as he is killing the firstborn. It, It said every man and beast, and then it said all of the gods. God is victorious over all. And, you know, we look to the Egyptians and we think of idols and we think of, of these mythological gods that they refer to. And, and, we, and we look at them with, with funny looks because we think how, how weird, right? How uncivilized that they would believe in all these weird gods, but, but church, do not think that we in 21st century America, with all of our civilization, do not have our own gods, our own deities, our own things that we look to and trust in sometimes more than we look to and trust in Yahweh, right? 
And we need to realize that God is over all. Do you believe today that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is G-O-D, capital G-O-D, God. That's what we see in the plagues. That's my first point. The second point is this. The Passover shows that God is graceful, but not unconditionally so. How many of you have heard the statement, God's grace is infinite? Or, God's grace, and it is infinite, let me rephrase that. God's grace is unconditional. Have you heard that before? The unconditional grace of God, that is not biblical. God's love is unconditional. God's grace is not. Now, you say, Pastor, how can you say that? God's grace can cover all sins. It absolutely can. It can cover each and every sin, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've done it, no matter how bad you've done, God's grace can cover your sin. So let's go to the story of the Israelites here. See this picture here? You've got the angel of death. You've got Pharaoh's firstborn son. Now, I don't know when they made this, if they intended him to be dead, but that's what we're going to pretend today, okay? And yet this boy, this Israelite boy over here is alive. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb. And that was the condition, right? When, when God instituted this thing called the Passover, it wasn't just a reason to get together and eat some food. There was something behind it. There was a meaning, and this was it. I am going to bring a tenth plague, a final plague, that will finally uh, convince Pharaoh to let you go. And it is going to be horrific. It's going to be the worst thing you could think of. I'm going to take out children. But there's, a, but there's a catch. There's grace. You don't have to experience this. You don't have to endure this. Israel, if you will put the blood of the Lamb over your door, I will pass over your family, your children. This is the grace of God. What did God tell Eve and Adam in the garden? There's a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it, because when you do, you will surely, what was it? Die, that's right. Because we find from Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's right. Sin brings death. Were the Israelites any less sinners than the Egyptians? No. Why? Well, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And, and, and if you doubt that all have sinned, if you doubt that the Israelites were just as guilty as the Egyptians, just read a little further in the story, in the Exodus story, right? As soon as they get out to the, the uh, as soon as they get outside of Egypt, pretty much immediately, they start whining and complaining. They start doubting, God, why did you bring us out here to die, God? How dare you, God? They were guilty too. And yet the blood brought grace. Or you could say the blood bought grace. But I'm telling you today, the grace of God is not 
unconditional. There is a condition. It is the blood. The blood is the condition. God's grace is unmatched. It is unmerited. But make no mistake, it is not unconditional. In this story, it required the blood of a lamb over their door. In your story, my friend, it requires the blood of the lamb over your life. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. God's grace is free. It cannot be bought or earned, but it has one condition, and that is faith in Jesus. In our day and age, it seems as if life is the only condition for salvation. So many believe that if you're alive, you're going to heaven, right? Now, now there may be those exceptions, Hitler and, and those like him, but for the most part, if you're a pretty good person... Basically, if you have a heartbeat, you're going to heaven. And unfortunately, that's just not what the Bible says. In fact, it says something much differently. It says that the majority of people will miss out on heaven. Jesus' own words. A lot of people will say, well, we just look at the words of Jesus. Well, let's look at the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The world would say almost everybody goes to heaven. The word of God says... Almost everybody goes to hell. Why? Because they didn't know the condition. They didn't understand it or they rejected it. And the condition, the one condition, and there's only one, there's only one thing standing in the way of heaven and hell, of your life and in eternity with God in heaven, and it is the blood of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today that that blood has already been shed. It's already been done. The price has already been paid. My friends, all you have to do is accept it. Say, I want it over my life, and and God will gladly and happily give it to you. He will offer you all of his grace and all of his mercy and my friends when judgment comes and it will come hebrews 9 27 for it is appointed for all men once to die and then comes judgment at judgment your sentence your condemnation will be passed over his wrath His fury, his anger at sin will pass over you and all you will receive from him is love and joy and acceptance into his presence. Make no mistake, the grace of God is good, it is immaculate, it is infinite, it is indelible, it is wonderful, but it is not unconditional. It is not cheap. You may have heard that Grace is cheap. Oh, it is not cheap. It is free. It is not cheap. It is costly. It is the most pricey thing in all the world because it costs the very blood of the Son of God. And yet He paid it all. All for you. And so the blood of the Lamb must be over your life. 
And the covering of his blood only comes by grace through faith in him. My last point is this. The passion shows that God is ready and willing to pass over your sin. This is the cool thing about this story. All those many years ago, pointing to Jesus, the passion, the the story of the Passover points to the story of the passion. The passion being the death of Jesus Christ. That that word passion in in Latin means to suffer, right? Right? It means to, to earnestly suffer for something. And Jesus suffered. Make no mistake, he suffered for you and for me. And, and, and while the Passover shows us that the grace, that God is graceful but not unconditionally so, the passion shows us that God is ready and willing to pass over your sin. The passion pointed to the cross. The Lamb of God, bleeding for us, being willing to place His blood over our life to show us that He desires for us to be with Him. You know, in the story of the Exodus, we see the Israelites walking through the Red Sea, crossing into what God was taking them to. And in Christ, we get to pass from this life into His promised land, what He is preparing for us and it requires blood because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins and yet Jesus paid it all all to him we owe I want to end where I started the Montagues and the Capulets were both cursed by Marcuccio a plague on both your houses. And I repeat what I said at the beginning. In the story of Romeo and Juliet, both the houses were plagued. Both the houses were cursed. In the story of the Exodus, only one house, the house of Pharaoh, the house of the king of this world, only one house was plagued. Only one house was cursed. But if the blood covered your door, your house was not cursed. Your house was free. Your house was full of grace and mercy. Your house was blessed and redeemed. And in the story of the gospel, the story of salvation through Jesus Christ, the house of the king of this world, Satan, his house is cursed. And if you are of it, and and that doesn't mean you have to choose Satan or worship Satan, it just means you have to reject the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. Because if you reject that house, you are in the other house. And the house of Satan is plagued. It is cursed. One day, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire forever. And all whose names are not found in the book of life, those who have not come to Christ for salvation, they will be cast there with him because they are of his house. And his house is cursed. Oh, but if you are the house of God, the house of Yahweh, the house of Jesus, by grace, through faith, Your house is blessed. Your house is redeemed. Your house will shine forever. Your life will be blessed forever. There's only a plague on one of the houses, Satan's house. God's house is plague-free. 
And as we come to the table this morning to remember and celebrate what Jesus did for us, being the Lamb of God whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, I invite you, if you don't know which house you're in, if you don't know whose side you're on, if if you're like, I'm not sure I've ever done that, I've, I've ever fulfilled the one condition of coming to Jesus in faith, then I urge you, I invite you today to choose which house you want to be in.